Well, good morning. We are continuing uh, towards the, the tail end of our series on the Lord's Prayer entitled, And When You Pray. And today we are on part five of our series, which I've entitled, Father, Forgive Me, But What About the Other Guy? So that's what we're going to look at today in this portion of the Lord's Prayer. Would you again bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you taught us how to pray. And I pray that as we dive into it to understand the full implications for our lives, I pray simply that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to our hearts, convict if necessary, work as you will. And may we have the attitude, Lord, that whatever you have for us is for our good, even if it seems temporarily that it might hurt or be uncomfortable, that whatever you have for us is for our good. And I pray that you would give us obedient hearts to respond. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Now, I started the series out by sharing some of the humorous ways that children have learned to pray the Lord's Prayer, and sometimes they don't always get the words quite right. And I found a couple more uh, of some children who prayed this specific section of the Lord's Prayer, and uh, they didn't maybe get the words quite right. The first one was from a four-year-old boy who prayed, And forgive us our passes, as we forgive those who pass gas against us. (laughs) Another four-year-old prayed the section like this, And forgive us our trash baskets, as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) Now, I think with both of those prayers, even though they got the words a little wrong, I actually think they got the meaning just right. They got it just right, because it's all about what we need to be forgiven for and forgiving others for what they need to be forgiven for. So let me just ask you this morning, as we begin, is there anyone here today who has ever needed forgiveness? Anyone? You're allowed to put your hands up. (laughs) I'm glad to see those hands. Have you ever needed to have your trash basket emptied, as it were? I have, on more than one occasion. You know, the the trash builds up, and sometimes other people add trash to our baskets, don't they? You know, people put trash in in our baskets, and have you ever put trash in someone else's basket? Yeah, probably a few hands on that one, too. You know, and and this this is reality. We have to acknowledge this, because becoming aware of our sin and our desperate need for God's forgiveness is required before we can receive his forgiveness. Not long after her death in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor on a television interview, a well-known author and outspoken atheist by the name of Marganita Lasky said this, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me. What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness, for I have no one to forgive me. You see, even she recognized something very important, that she needed forgiveness. There was something in her heart that craved it, called out for it, and she realized that as an atheist, there was no one out there that she believed in who could forgive her. You see, forgiveness of sin is the greatest need of the human heart. It's the single greatest thing that each one of us needs is forgiveness. And without God's forgiveness, quite simply, we are without hope. But with God's forgiveness, we have an eternal hope. 
Now, our scripture passage for this morning in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23, I would invite you to turn there with me this morning. It's a very familiar parable of Jesus, one that I've preached on many times before. You could call it one of my favorite texts, simply because the the story is so compelling and the punch is undeniable. And I'm sure we're going to feel it again today as we go through this story. Matthew chapter 18, and there beginning in verse 23. I want to draw out a few points for our consideration here today. In this text, we see that the principal uh, actors in this story, there is the king, there is the servant, and then there is another servant. And the first thing we'll notice of those two servants is that they both have a debt that they cannot repay. Now, of course, in the text, Jesus tells us of this king who decides one day to settle the accounts with his servants. And the first servant who is brought in owes him an astronomical sum of 10,000 talents. Now, to give you an idea of how much Jesus was exaggerating this point of how much was owed, the modern-day equivalent, roughly, of 10,000 talents would be approximately $10 million in Canadian currency. And Jesus is exaggerating the point to make this very clear to us. That this is an amount of money that he could never dream or hope to be able to repay. The other servant, however, he he makes the figure very, very low. He only owes the other man about 100 denarii, which today, in Canadian currency, comes to around $20, 20 bucks. So not very much at all. But the fact remains that while the one owes a little and the other one owes a lot, they both have a debt they cannot repay. Now in that time and place, there was no such thing as declaring bankruptcy to protect yourself from the debt collectors. There was no such thing. The law was such in that time that when a bill was passed due and you couldn't pay, the creditor had every right to seize not only you but your entire family and to throw you into debtor's prison. So depending on the amount of money owed, a fixed amount of time would be established for that prison sentence that was deemed satisfactory for the punishment by the creditor. The only way you could cut that prison time short was by either paying the debt, having someone else step in to pay that debt for you, or the creditor would forgive the debt. But in this parable, the amount of money the first servant owes the king is so gigantic that Like I said, he could never possibly hope to repay it, not even if he was given a hundred years worth of time to earn a hundred years worth of wages, he could never come up with this astronomical sum. And of course, no one else was capable of paying off such an incredible debt on his behalf, and not even a wealthy king could easily afford to let this kind of money just disappear off the books. Because even for him, this was a sizable hit on his bankroll. And so for this servant, being sent to debtor's prison was quite literally a death sentence. And he and his family would never again see the light of day. So in this text, we see first that everyone owes someone. But now according to Jesus' parable, forgiveness is available. The king, in calling his subjects before him, finds out that the one who owes him 10,000 talents, this this figure, he, he calls him in, he finds him, And he says to him, what am I going to do with you? And the man grovels in verse 26, and he pleads, please be patient with me. Just give me a little more time, and I will repay you in full. Now, 
this sounds good and all, right? But what are the chances that this servant is somehow going to come up with that kind of coin? It was impossible, and he and the king both knew it. And so here is where Jesus' parable takes a sharp left turn from what Peter and the other disciples would have expected to hear. Because rather than curse and condemn the man, in verse 27, we read what the king says. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. Now, as incredible as it seems, Jesus is saying that we, like the servant, are hopelessly indebted. And God is the merciful king. We are each before him with a debt of sin that we cannot repay. No matter how much time we are given, we can never come up with the full amount. But in his mercy, he is willing to cancel the impossible debt of our sin and forgive us of everything. There's a story told that in the 14th century, Robert the Bruce of Scotland was leading his men into a battle to gain independence from England. Near the end of the conflict, the English wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from gaining the Scottish crown. And so coming up with a ploy to capture him, they took and seized his own bloodhounds and put them on Bruce's trail. Well, with the bloodhounds getting close on his scent, Bruce could hear their baying. And his bodyguard said to him, We are done for. They are on our trail, and they will soon reveal our hiding place. Bruce replied, It's all right. And then he headed off for a stream that flowed through the deepest part of the forest. He plunged into the stream, and he waded upstream for a fair distance. When he came out on the other bank, he was in the depths of the forest. Within minutes, the hounds tracing their master's steps came to the bank and went no further. The English soldiers urged them on, but the trail was broken. You see, the stream had carried the scent away. And a short time later, the crown of Scotland rested on the head of Robert the Bruce. And in the same way, our sins... No matter how many they are, like the first servant, or how few they may be, like the second, all of our sins have the bloodhounds of judgment and death chasing us, tracking us down. But there is a stream that flows from the cross of Calvary. It flows crimson red with the blood of God's only begotten Son. And at that moment that we plunge by faith into that stream, grace is applied Our sins are washed away and the cleansing is so complete, so perfect, that even the scent of our sin is removed from us. No sin hound can touch us, for the trail is broken by the precious blood of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that while mankind was still hopelessly lost in sin, still enemies of God, bent on our own destruction, bent on our own rebellion towards him, In that place, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for our sins, to take the punishment that we deserve on himself by suffering and dying in our place on that cross of Calvary. And he didn't stay dead, did he? No, he rose from the grave and defeated sin and death. It can no longer touch him. And so by faith in him, by hiding ourselves in him, it can no longer touch us. The hounds of judgment no longer have the scent, for we are hidden in Christ. Isn't that incredible? This is what we celebrate every time we come to church, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
has covered our sins when we are hidden by faith in him. This is what we celebrate every time we come around to Christmas, is that Jesus, the babe in the manger, didn't stay there. He grew up and accomplished all of this for us. God did this to forgive us completely, unconditionally. His grace reaching even to the worst sinner, even to me, even to you, and it doesn't matter what your sins are or how many or how few they are. Whatever your sins are, greed, lust, adultery, sex outside of marriage, drug abuse, lying, murder, envy, gossip, slander, theft, pride, every last one you can name, they are covered. They are covered by the blood of Christ. And so when you enter into that stream of the crimson blood of Jesus, you are forgiven completely and entirely. And so whether you don't view your sins as being so bad or too many, or whether you view your sins as so big and so many that you doubt whether God could possibly forgive them all, or continue to forgive you when you stumble and fall, the truth is this. We all need God's forgiveness. Every last one of us. We all need it. And yes, God can and will forgive because of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And so when we enter into this, his forgiveness is available, it is free, and it is for us. And so let me ask you, have you received God's forgiveness for yourself? Have you entered into the stream? Have you received his cleansing for yourself? I really, truly hope and pray that you have. And so when we come to the Lord's Prayer and we say these words, forgive us our trespasses. It's a simple sentence, but it's saying a whole lot. Forgive us our trespasses. That's a loaded sentence because our trespasses against the Holy One of Heaven are many. And sin is deep-rooted within every human heart. And so when we say, forgive us our trespasses, all of eternity is hanging in the balance. Forgive us. And through faith in Jesus Christ, God's forgiveness is ours. As 1 John 1, verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And again, the word, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The cleansing is complete. Have you received that forgiveness? Can I get an amen if you have? Amen. It's all about his forgiveness for us. Nothing and no one, allow nothing and no one stand between you and God's forgiveness. Everything hangs in the balance. And so now having gone through that, the plan of salvation, the gospel, what it's all about, we can't stop there. We must continue on to what Jesus said next. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now this section teaches and challenges us to our very core. And it challenges us that in order to expect God's forgiveness for ourselves, we must now actively be extending forgiveness towards others continuously and unconditionally, just as he is providing it towards us. 
Peter started this parable, or he initiated this parable by asking Jesus the question, And Lord, how many times should I forgive a brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? And as you probably know, seven is a huge number to forgive someone when they sin against you. Have you tried forgiving someone two times for the same thing? Three, four? It's really pushing it, isn't it? You get up to seven times for the same thing, and now you're feeling like you're Mother Teresa. (laughs) You've got... You've got it all figured out. You made it up to seven times. And that's how Peter was feeling. I'm going to impress Jesus by going to such a high number. And Jesus blows that number out of the water. And he says, no, not seven times, Peter, but seven times seven. Pardon me, 70 times seven. Or as another translation would have it, 77 times. But either way, it's a big number. And he's emphasizing we don't stop at a number. It's continuous. We offer forgiveness to others just as God offers it to us. And Jesus really drills this point home when we continue to what he says following the prayer in verses 14 to 15 of Matthew, where Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Back to the parable. The king forgave his servant for the entire amount. He didn't just say, I'm going to do 9,980 you know, shekels of your debt. He did the whole thing. He lets him go free. The man's going out of there feeling like a million bucks. No, feeling like 10 million bucks. That's how much was just forgiven. And what does the man do now with his newfound freedom, his debt released, canceled, gone? Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, 20 bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. But when the poor fellow says he cannot pay, and like him with the king a few moments earlier, asks for patience and more time, the man refuses, throws him in prison. And the other servants who witness this exchange are greatly distressed, and they go and tell the king what has happened. And so what does the king do? Well, he recalls the servant. And look at what he says. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you bagged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Then in anger, the king delivers him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now, here the point of this parable is obvious. But just to make sure it was painfully clear, Jesus drives the point home further in verse 35 with this summation. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Make no mistake about it, my friends. Every single time that we pray and forgive us our trespasses, As we forgive those who trespass against us, every time we pray that prayer, this is the standard that we are asking God, our Father, to hold us to. And rest assured, he will. This is his word. He does not lie. One theologian says it this way. It isn't that God forgives us on an exchange basis. Our forgiveness of others is not a condition of God's forgiveness of us, Rather, it is a condition of our ability to receive 
the forgiveness of God. You see, God's forgiveness always comes first. He is the initiator. But we must respond to it. God forgives us, and the chain reaction that is to follow is that we then forgive others. You see, we don't need to forgive everyone else and make things right before God will forgive us. No, he did that while we were still his enemies. But once we have received God's forgiveness of our gigantic, insurmountable debt of sin, he now expects us to walk in forgiveness in that same way towards others for their relatively small sins against us. You see, it's the height of hypocrisy to expect God to keep forgiving us over and over if we are stubbornly unwilling to forgive others. And when we refuse to forgive someone else, we are actually inviting God to treat us in the same way. For with the measure that we judge others, it will be judged unto us, the Lord Jesus said. So let me just make this perfectly clear. God does not consider unforgiveness a minor offense or a misdemeanor. It is a capital offense. Unforgiveness is wickedness. And God considers anyone who has received his extravagant forgiveness but will not in turn forgive others, as the king said to his servant, he considers them a wicked servant. And if there is one topic where Jesus doesn't pull any punches, it's this one. Forgiveness is always a matter of utmost urgency. It is always urgent. And this is why I preach on it so often. Because last week I could have had everything clear. I've got no one I'm holding any grudges against. My conscience is clear. I'm walking in in freedom with my brothers and sisters. But something can happen and all of a sudden, there it is again. There it is and I'm challenged to my core. Will I forgive? Will I extend it again? And this is why we have to rehearse this so often. Because in the rub of life... We are imperfect and we walk with imperfect people. And so often in the grind of it, we have to forgive, like Peter asked, continuously, over and over again. And it is always urgent. Because, get this, the longer forgiveness is withheld, the greater the chance that it will never be extended or received. If you look at your life's experience, tell me that this isn't true. The longer you nurse a grudge against someone, the longer you refuse to forgive, the harder it becomes to do it. Isn't this true? The roots go deeper. The walls get higher. In my experience, in my limited experience in this life, I have learned that offenses and grudges do not diminish over time. They grow. And so I have been, God has been schooling me, and just lobbing it in there, and you're just getting to you, and you're nursing that grudge. Let me tell you, choose today to forgive them. Choose today. And if it's just a matter of your heart's attitude towards someone, then in obedience to what your Lord Jesus has said to you, lift up your prayer of forgiveness for that person to God, spell out the grievance, name the hurt, don't pull any punches, say what it is that has hurt you. Release your bitterness and desire for revenge unto God and trust that the Holy Spirit will then come underneath that obedience and apply his indwelling power to heal your thoughts and your feelings. 
And if it goes further than that to a relationship being strained or broken because of the trespass, well then say that prayer, but then ask God for something further. The wisdom and the courage to go to that person to speak words of forgiveness and express your desire for the friendship to be restored. And now I know just the thought of having an awkward conversation like that, well, it's making some of you cringe. Maybe your skin's crawling thinking about having to do that. I know it does for me. But I do know from firsthand experience, from having both extended forgiveness and having received forgiveness, that the freedom and the release that follows those conversations by the Holy Spirit's power is nothing short of incredible. And who knows, you might just be shocked to discover that in the place of an age-old enemy, you might discover a new friend. And even when a friendship may not be able to be restored, the peace that comes from simply being obedient to our Lord's clear command makes it all worthwhile. For we know that when we forgive others, nothing hinders our relationship with the Father and his forgiveness is free-flowing to us. I want to close with a true story. In the year 1840, when Reverend Robert Rundle, one of the first missionaries to Alberta, arrived to evangelize the Cree nation there in the West, he was strongly opposed by a young Cree chieftain named... Pardon me, I'm going to try to say this right. A young Cree chieftain named Mascapatoon. At their first meeting, Mascapatoon declared... I will never become a Christian as long as there are horses to steal and scalps to take. But when Mascapatoon heard that this Jesus, rather than kill his enemies, died to forgive them and uttered words of forgiveness for them as they were doing so, his heart was so convicted that it melted within him and he responded to accept Christ. Another man, John McDougall, later told about the murderer who stopped to shake hands with him while he was traveling with Mascapatoon. When John said, this man wants to shake hands with you, Mascapatoon, apparently under great strain, finally gave his hand to the man in greeting. He shook his hand, and he later said to John, that man killed my son, and I have often longed to kill him. But because I wanted to become a Christian, and I have done so, With great effort, I have kept myself from avenging my son's murderer. Meeting your father and sitting beside you has softened my heart, and I have now given him my hand. It was the hardest thing I have ever done, but now that it is done, he need fear no longer what I might do to him. Well, the story doesn't end there. On another occasion, the Cree were camped near what is now the city of Watascoan. When their age-old enemies, the Blackfoot Nation, asked them for a truce, the truce, after much deliberation, was granted, and they came together to smoke the pipe of peace. But as they came together amongst the Blackfoot, Mascapatoon saw the man who years earlier had murdered his father. He recognized this old warrior, his father's killer, and as he approached with the others, he ordered his men to saddle his best horse, and bring it to the tent. Then, with tomahawk in hand, he ordered his father's killer to stand before him. The old warrior expected to be killed. He knew blood demanded blood. But instead, Mascapatoon asked him to be seated. 
and to his utter astonishment proceeded to hand him his best richly decorated suit. And then he said, bring him my best horse. And he said to the man, you killed my father. And the time was when I would have gloried in drinking your blood. But that time is now past. You need not fear. You must now become a father to me. Wear my clothes, ride my horse, and tell your people that this is the way Maskepatoon takes revenge. He forgives. And the old man cried out with tears streaming down his face, O my son, you have killed me. Never in the history of my people has such a thing been known or done. My people and all men will say from now forward, The young chief is brave and strong and good. He stands alone. This is the power of forgiveness. It turned a fierce warrior who desired nothing more than to steal horses and scalp men and kill his enemies. It turned him into a man who could shake the hand of the one who had killed his son. It turned him into a man who could look his father's murderer in the eye and say, You killed my father. You must now become a father to me. Wear my clothes, ride my horse. And I want you to just close your eyes and and see that image in your mind because this is the exact thing that God has done for us. You and I, he says, your sin has wounded me deeply. You killed my son. But now I forgive you. Take my name, wear my clothes. Sit at my table. You are now a son, a daughter to me. So let me ask you a question. Is there anyone who in the course of this message you've been sitting there that the Holy Spirit has brought to mind right now who is in need of your forgiveness? Have you been holding someone else captive and so holding your own self captive as a result? Then let me just encourage you today, obey your Lord And choose his way, the way of forgiveness. Choose to do it today. It is of utmost urgency. Don't wait till next week, not tomorrow, right now, today. And you will find that in doing so, not only do you free the other, but you free yourself. And you free the way to your Father so that nothing will stand between you and receiving his forgiveness. So don't just think about it. Ask God for the words to say, the courage to act, and then do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that it is perfect and it is free because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that for each one of us, when we plunge into that stream, We are cleansed from head to toe, freely, completely, perfectly. No sin hound can touch us anymore. We are hidden in you. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, you have also challenged us that for those of us who receive that forgiveness, we must now act accordingly in how we forgive others. Father, this is not easy and you know it. You know that it comes at a cost. But Lord, you have given us your spirit to do just this. And so I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each heart. That if there is those here today who know that there's someone they need to forgive, oh Lord, by your spirit, give them the courage 
and the conviction to do so. I pray that there could be restoration of friendships, of relationships, even between family members. Oh, Lord, may this come about. And, Lord, if there are those here today who know their conscience is is clear, I pray that we would simply resolve this day to continue to walk in the path of forgiveness, to not hold on to grudges, to let them fester and grow, but to deal with them immediately as they come up, and that we would be obedient to your words and your prayer that you have taught us, that you would forgive us our trespasses just as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, bless your word and bless us, your people, as we obey by your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.